Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Welcome to Season 2 of Terry's Mysterious Moments. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you find something interesting. Or maybe something spooky. Or maybe something just... Mysterious. October 1942, the Cunard White Star Line's majestic flagship, the HMS Queen Mary, has been retrofitted and pressed into service carrying American troops to European battlefields. At 1,019 feet and 81,237 gross tons, the Queen Mary had the best time for crossing the Atlantic. Speed is critical on the ship's unescorted wartime dashes across the Atlantic between New York City and Britain. Nearly 15,000 soldiers are crowded into cramped quarters as the Queen Mary steams off the coast of Ireland, only a few hundred miles from her destination of Clyde. She has picked up a British convoy to protect the valuable cargo of men and materials in the German U-boat infested waters near Ireland. The Allied command remembers all too vividly the 1915 sinking of the Lusitania by a German U-boat, the U-20, in the Irish Sea and doesn't want a similar tragedy. So it was that several British destroyers patrolled the waters well ahead of the Queen Mary while one anti-aircraft cruiser, the 4,200-ton Coracoa, kept a close vigil off the Queen's bow. The procedure for guarding the Queen called for the Coracoa to zigzag ahead of her, alternating positions from port to starboard, watching for enemy submarines that might try to slip through the forward armada. 
Somehow there was a mistake made, and suddenly, in broad daylight, the Korakoa cut across the queen's bow, too late for the monster of the sea to slow or alter course. The Korakoa was sliced in half. The Queen Mary was relatively unscathed, although a tear in her bow allowed some water to enter a forward compartment, but watertight bulkheads prevented serious damage or possible sinking. The Korakoa went under in less than five minutes, carrying 338 sailors to their deaths. Only 101 survived. Many of the deaths were from drowning since wartime restrictions prevented the Queen Mary from stopping to pick up any survivors. A stop ship the size of the Queen presented an easy target to enemy submarines. A naval inquiry some months later found the Korakoa two-thirds to blame and the Queen Mary one-third responsible for the tragedy. There the matter would have ended an exceedingly sad chapter in the Queen Mary's illustrious transoceanic career, if not for a peculiar twist that brought the Queen to Long Beach, California in 1967. She was to be made over into a permanently anchored floating hotel and resort along that city's burgeoning oceanfront. On board the ship's voyage to retirement was one John Smith, a tall, soft-spoken sailor with sharp features and the ruddy complexion of a man at home on the sea. Now retired as the Queen's last chief engineer, Smith stayed aboard while the ship was being outfitted as a tourist attraction. But what John Smith remembers most about his job on the Queen is not the ocean voyage around Cape Horn to Long Beach, for the trip went smoothly enough, nor the months of tedious watch as the grand old lady of the sea was stripped of her engines and made ready for paying customers. He knew that the Queen Mary was a relic of an earlier age, unable to complete with luxurious passenger jets. What was the top speed of 30 knots, after all, when travelers could reach Europe in a matter of hours instead of days? John Smith said what bothered him the most then and does to this day were the unexplained sounds and phantom voices he heard on the ship, all originating near the bow of the Queen Mary in almost the precise location where the Korokoa had punched a hole in her iron skin nearly four decades earlier. Smith has very precise memories. Quoting him, At the bow there are six decks of vertical stairs with very dim lighting that go down near the bottom of the ship. It's the structural area so they can't store anything. Too many girders and beams are in the way. On the last voyage I still didn't know much about the history of the ship not even everything the general public knew. One of my jobs was to keep the ship from sinking. I'd roam the ship with a flashlight, and at times I'd go up on the top deck at the bow and look down this six-deck vertical ladder. I was looking down to make sure there was a way to get down with ropes. When he reached the bow, Smith would sometimes hear water rushing as if pipes were breaking or the hull had sprung a leak. Smith would descend the ladder in the forward section of the ship, but the gurgling and rushing sound would gradually fade away. He said, I would really be mystified and wonder what I heard and where it had come from. Nothing was ever wrong. There were no problems. And then I would hear a strange tapping noise. Now the ship was tied up at the pier near the naval base, so there was no reason for this. At sea, Smith realized the noises he heard would have been too quiet to have been audible above the pounding of the waves. He says, I definitely heard it 
I checked the ship. I looked over the sides. There was no one around and no activities going on. I cannot explain it. The most unnerving experience for John Smith was something that came on the heels of that rhythmic tapping in the seeming rush of water. Voices. Voices as if from a distance. Smith could hear them crying, moaning, shrieking, even laughing sometimes. Always men's voices. When that phenomenon occurred, Smith left as quickly as possible. He said, I know that common sense says that something structural or mechanical was causing it, but it happened again and again, probably seven or eight times. It was after he retired that John Smith read a history of the Queen Mary, including an account of the grisly collision with the cruiser Coracoa. Although part of the Queen's bow was torn open, the ship was able to continue to Scotland for temporary repairs. It was eventually returned to Boston and dry docked while the bow was permanently repaired before the Queen returned to service. Smith said, If I had known about this, I'd say it all ties in, but I didn't know about the collision until years later. He often felt, as well as heard something during his watches. He said you'd hear the thump, then the vibration, the water gurgling, and then the crying and shrieking. I felt vibrations like going over a washboard, but it was always more or less in that pattern. The thumping noise always first, never clear. It seemed garbled. When one sound faded out, then another faded in. Maybe the whole thing took 60 seconds at most. On the researching of the ship, Smith knows that the mysterious voices came from the same area of the Queen Mary that would have struck the Coracoa. He believes that what he heard on all those occasions was the ghostly, albeit invisible, reenactment of that tragic disaster. John Smith also encountered the ghost of British statesman Winston Churchill on the Queen Mary, or at least the remnants of smoke from Winston's famous cigars. During World War II, when the Queen was usually carrying American forces to Europe, a special stateroom was outfitted for the wartime British Prime Minister for his frequent trips to Washington, D.C. Sir Winston preferred to travel by ship rather than by air. A quarter of a century later, the Prime Minister's old stateroom, M115, was given over as a temporary office for Smith during the Queen's renovation in Long Beach. He would say, I definitely smelled smoke in that room, cigar smoke. He had a favorite brand of Cuban cigars that they used to sell at the coffee shop on board. They probably even called them Winston Churchill cigars. Nothing smelled quite like it, but there it was. I recognized it. Right now, 20 years later, I would recognize that smell almost more than any other. The odor would stay around for hours when everyone except Smith and a few others had left the ship. I could see the smoke near the ceiling. The ventilators were not operating then, so there was no artificial ventilation. We had to leave a porthole open or a door and get cross breeze that way. But uh, when the door was closed at night and the porthole was shut, the smoke still got in the room. It didn't last. Uh, it would gradually disappear along with the cigar odor in about 10 minutes, Smith said. There was no apparent pattern. It happened often, but not every evening, he said. Maybe three or four days in a row, nothing, and then it would come again. As soon as I smelled it, I'd go out in the corridor and look around in each direction, for I assumed 
that somebody maybe even blew smoke through the keyhole, but it wasn't that. As far as Smith could tell, no workman renovating the ship, smoked cigars while on a board, certainly not the distinctive brand Sir Winston preferred. The screams of dying sailors and the sight and smell of cigar smoke aren't the only peculiar remembrances of John Smith. One of the most well-known ghost legends on the old ship concerns not people, but a handsome Irish setter dog whose barking echoes even to this day. He knows the story well. The kennel was up on the sun deck, he says. Unless you were a VIP like Elizabeth Taylor, she could keep her dogs in the stateroom. You would have to put your dog in the kennel during the trip. An old English gentleman always traveled with his beautiful Irish setter. Real friendly he was. He'd wag his tail when strangers came up. The dog was walked every day by his master up and down the deck. They had a regular walkway there. He didn't even need a leash. The dog would just follow and stay right with him. One night this dog started howling. The kennel attendant was called by security to see what was wrong. They couldn't control him and he howled and howled and scratched at the cage which he had never done before. So the kennelman let him out. He didn't know if the dog had been injured, needed food or water, or what was wrong. The dog kept running around the kennel. It was fenced in so he couldn't get out, but he was always scratching at the exit gate. Anyway, the kennelman sent the security guard down to wake up the Englishman to bring him to, up to see what he could do to control the dog. They didn't really want to disturb him at three in the morning, but they had to keep the dog quiet. The security man found the gentleman dead in his room. John Smith believes the dog somehow knew of his master's death. Shortly after the Queen Mary arrived in Long Beach, Smith heard what he believed was a dog barking on the sun deck. Always, the barking was indistinct, a distinct baying that was directionless. It seemed to emanate from the old kennel area, yet when Smith and his colleagues got there, it seemed remote again, almost as if the spectral dog had run to another part of the ship. Another individual who was a security officer during the Queen Mary's early years as a tourist attraction and is now an investigator for a Southern California insurance company spoke of her uncanny experiences on the ship with the assurance of one who is used to dealing with facts and details. While John Smith never saw an apparition, this individual had an unnerving encounter with an actual ghost. She said, my job as a lead guide was to close up an area after the tour. I'd turn off the tapes or the lights or reattach the chains, whatever needed to be done. I was pretty sure I was the last one in this particular tour. The tour had taken her down to the engine room and she had completed riding up the first escalator to the main deck and was halfway up a second escalator when it happened. I felt someone behind me, she said. I turned around and saw a man standing behind me. I figured I'd miss somebody or that he was crew because his overalls were dirty. He had a beard, a beautiful beard, short black hair, very round black eyes, and white skin, grossly white, and blue overalls. I kept thinking he was maintenance. I thought he had come up behind me and I just must not have heard him. She said the man wore no expression but looked straight ahead as if she didn't exist. That was about two seconds from the top. And she added that when she reached the top, she stepped aside to let the man pass, but he wasn't there. Not a word was exchanged between her and the man. Indeed, she turned around because she sensed his presence. I didn't feel him touch me, 
but I just felt I wasn't alone. He was three-dimensional and very vivid. When asked if it could have been a maintenance man or, or a crewman playing a practical joke on her, which wasn't all that unusual, apparently, she said no. There was no place for him to go. He couldn't have reversed himself. It was my job to turn off the escalator. That's why I was doing what I was doing. I was about three steps from the top, turned and saw him. I turned back thinking I'd missed somebody, stepped aside and let him go by, and when I looked back, he was gone. There may be a reason for that crewman's visit. According to some sources, a crew member had somehow been crushed in one of the watertight doors during the ship's heyday. His name was John Pater, P-E-D-E-R, although the spelling of the last name may be different. She thinks the man on the escalator could very well have been him. Modern cruise ships, of course, have swimming pools built in, and they're out on the open deck. But Queen Mary has a swimming pool also, but it's different from those found on today's ships. It's enclosed, and it's down inside a room about the size of a gym within the bowels of the ship. There was little reason to build a swimming pool on an open deck for a vessel sailing in the North Atlantic. The pool is kept half filled with water to prevent cracks and show modern visitors what passengers in the 30s considered a luxurious touch. Soft, indirect lighting cast subtle shadows down on the Art Deco designs, lending an altogether ethereal feeling to the area. Two stairways lead down to the pool deck from a spacious entryway. Sturdy columns surround the pool, rising dozens of feet to the ceiling above. Even a diving board stands unattended at the pool's deep end. But all is not quiet there. Several current and former employees say that a ghost, a woman ghost, swims in that pool. The former guide comments on this situation because she saw the ghostly swimmer. It was almost like I had caught her in another dimension, she said. I couldn't see her face, but I saw her form. I saw the bathing suit, but everything was void of color. She wasn't transparent, though she didn't appear before my eyes, and she didn't disappear before my eyes. She was near the railing of the entrance, looking down at the pool when she saw the swimmer. I thought she'd step back behind the pillar. I disconnected the rope, went down, because she thought it was a tourist, and could find no one. There was no one in the area. The doors exiting the pool area were closed, and nothing indicated anyone had gone through them. Another man who works as an engineer on the Queen Mary has seen a mysterious woman in the pool area, but his report what happened to him is quite different from the ladies. He said, I walked into the starboard side of the pool, and she was on the port side and just disappeared. From what I could tell, she was about 35 to 40 and blonde. She was in a white flowing gown, like a nightgown or maybe an evening dress. She was standing by the double doors, and it was as if she just turned around and vanished. The doors lead from the pool to an area of the ship known as Shaft Alley, named after the giant shafts that ran from the four single-reduction-geared turbines, each producing 160,000 horsepower to the immense 18-foot propellers. Shaft Alley has had its share of mysterious events. The gentleman said, she looked right at me. I looked at her, and then she turned away, and she was right at the corner of the door, a very hazy image. It wasn't a person, and it startled me. You hear about those things, but you never expect to see them. He had been working the graveyard shift when he saw the apparition at about three in the morning. 
but he dismisses the notion that his mind was playing tricks on him. A second incident at the pool provided him with additional visible evidence of a ghostly presence. He had been working in one of the Queen's maintenance shops a dozen yards down a corridor from the pool. I came out of the shop and it sounded like somebody was swimming. I walked up there and there was nobody around. The water was moving and on the port side where the ladder comes out of the pool, there were wet footprints going out through the double doors that go to sea deck. And they stopped. Well, I turned around and started up to the next deck and there's wet footprints going up the steps. And they vanished too. Trying to find some rational explanation, this gentleman says if somebody was playing games, they weren't going to stand there and get dried off and change clothes. If they're soaking wet, the water's going to be there, but the footprints just stopped. It was just like when you get out of a swimming pool. It's not unusual for guests of the hotel to sneak into the pool for a swim, but he says it took him less than a minute to walk from the shop to the pool, making it impossible by his belief for two people, there were two sets of footprints after all, to exit the water and run off. According to a spokesman for the Queen Mary, a woman passenger drowned in the pool during the 1960s. Who she was and under what circumstances she died are not known. But that fact alone makes the sightings of a ghostly bather even more plausible. An investigator who was a veteran reporter and columnist for the Long Beach Press-Telegram was given the chance to come on board the Queen Mary one night and check around, see if he could find out anything about these stories. He went away not entirely convinced that there wasn't something to them. He said, I've been hearing these ghost stories and most of them seem to be connected with locales on the ship where people had died or had come to some violent end, he explained. So I had arranged to be locked up in two of these places, the swimming pool area and then what's known as Shaft Alley. He then spent about a half hour alone in each place in the middle of the night. The guards had locked all the doors and activated the electronic alarms to prevent anyone else from entering. His vigil near the pool proved uneventful. He found a dressing room light blazing, but he attributes that to a, a forgetful tour guide or bad wiring. Shaft Alley proved a different story, though. The reporter doesn't completely accept the notion that what happened to him there proves the Queen is haunted, but it left him with lingering questions. I started along the catwalk in Shaft Alley, and I passed an oil drum. I looked down to the end, and I came back, and there were two oil drums there. I said to myself, now there must have been two at the very beginning, except I didn't know that for sure. He said, I wondered about that. There are other stories of the Queen Mary on the paranormal Facebook pages that I haunt. People go there on vacation and come back with stories and pictures. And some of them are, are quite interesting and some of them are really inexplicable. I wasn't there, so I can't tell you what they saw or what they heard or, or what they took pictures of. And sometimes their pictures can't tell you what they took pictures of, but people continually report that the Queen Mary is haunted. I tend to believe that there could be some things to it. There have been other ships involved in collisions where aural, A-U-R-A-L, hauntings happen, where you hear the crash or feel the shudder of the ship or hear the screams of the dying. That would not be a pleasant experience to just suddenly out of the clear blue hear that kind of noise. If you go to the Queen Mary, 
you can take ghost tours because they offer them. I don't know that I would want to go simply because it's a ship and I'm a landlubber. I don't mind being on water, but I don't want to be there for very long. I have seen people post stories about the Queen Mary, post pictures from the Queen Mary, and they believe that they've seen something or caught something. I don't know. Without having been there, I can't say, no, that's fake, or things like that. But there are some pictures that are posted you just look at, and I can't see anything in them. Everybody else says, oh, yeah, I see the 14,000 people standing there staring at you. know, I, That's silly. I'm sorry. There are pictures taken that show things. There are pictures that are taken that don't show things that I can see. Visit the Queen Mary if you want to try to catch a ghost. Maybe you'll see the ghostly swimmer or hear her. Maybe you'll hear the ghostly dog barking and howling. Maybe you'll see the crewman with the dirty coveralls. I just remembered a story from a hotel that is reportedly haunted here in San Antonio. Back when I was in high school, my senior year, 1977-78, I was involved in a class called OEA, or VOE at that time. as Office Education Association. The VOE stands for Vocational Office Education. Learning how to type, file, do things like that. We had some kind of convention here in San Antonio, and we had to drive down to San Antonio for it. Well, there was only one other guy in the class. He was in the morning class. I was in the afternoon class. So, obviously, we got stuck in the hotel room together. And it's it's without knowing the history of the hotel we stayed in that I spoke. And... What happened was they put us in a room where the heads of the bed were against the elevator shaft. So you heard the elevator going up and down all night long, the cables creaking and twanging and whatever else they do. And I just made the comment right before we went to sleep. I said, you know, Mike, I said, wouldn't it be something if the cables on the elevator broke and just came ripping through this wall? I didn't realize exactly what I had said, but Mike stayed awake the rest of the night. I turned over and went to sleep, but he sat there. Every time it creaked, he said, I was quaking in my in my sheets because I didn't know if it was going to come through the wall or not. So I found out you really have to be careful what you say to others in a place that's already spooky. Anyway, folks, I think that's about all I have for this week. I did want to just talk about the Queen Mary for a little bit. I know that I'm giving a rather short shrift by only doing a half hour on it. We could probably do two or three hours, but if you've been to the Queen Mary and you have pictures that are questionable, I'd like to see them if you you don't mind. Um, You can contact me at terrysmysteriousmoments at gmail.com or... Terry's Mysterious Moments on Facebook. If you have an experience at the Queen Mary you'd like to talk about, send me a message. I don't disbelieve. I just don't have any personal proof of my own. That's the only thing I can say. But anyway, I'm glad you were here to listen to this show this week. I think I'm going to have a special edition next week. That's all I'll say now because it hasn't really been confirmed. I hope you'll listen. 
Anyway, you know you can listen to Aaron Hunter on Mondays with Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. Aaron Frail on Tuesdays with Aaron's Horror Show. Although he did say something about taking a hiatus for this month. Me on Wednesdays, Terry's Mysterious Moments, and on occasional Thursdays, and I put it like that, although he's been pretty regular, I say occasional because that's the way he announced he was going to do it. Sean Patrick Jones does a show called The Sandman Lullaby. I would urge you to go to your, your app store, whether it be Apple or Android, and download the Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast app. That way you can download the app and get all four shows without having to hunt for them. That's what I have to say for this week. That's what I have to present. Uh, If you have any story ideas, please send them to me. I, I need to hear more from people. I'm just not getting much feedback, and I would really like to have more feedback. So wherever you're from, send me a note. Just say hi or something. Anyway, that's this week. And like I said... Stay tuned next week. I hope it's going to be a very special episode. You have a good week yourself. 